Hello and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Ollie Smith, online producer here at NMA, and also sat with me is NMA senior reporter Jack Gilbert. Good to be here, Ollie. This week, we'll be starting our new regular feature, Who's Hot and Who's Not? And after, we'll be talking to our mystery guest to discuss all things Carillion, Philip Greens, and pension regulation. But before we begin, if you haven't already, you should definitely subscribe to this podcast. It's now a weekly episode and will go out every Thursday. You can subscribe by going to iTunes and searching for New Model Advisor Podcast, or, of course, search on your favourite podcast app if you wish. So with that done, it's over to Jack to introduce our mystery special guest. Jack. Thanks, Ollie. Uh, today's guest is a relative, relative newcomer to the financial services sector. No one's really heard of him, so we decided to give him a bit of a helping hand and get his name out there a little bit. Uh, he's re- raring to go, and he's, he's, he's keen to make his mark in the industry. I'm, of course, talking about the one and only Tom McPhail, Hargreaves Lansdowne, head of, head of policy. Tom, how are you? Jack, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for that generous introduction to the industry. I am enormously excited to be here. We thought we'd try and throw you, <laughs> or at least make you laugh. I think you've achieved both, so that's a good start. Good. Are you ready for a round of who's hot and who's not? Yes, I am. So we thought that this week, Ian Taylor of Transact fame is definitely hot because of the IPO. But we gather that you also have some thoughts on who is hot this week, Tom. Um, so being a bit obsessed with pensions, um, my I think top of my hot list has to be Frank Field, simply because um, basically if anybody moves in pensions, he sends them a letter. It's like uh, Palmer and Harvey, Carillion, Barclays, anybody, anytime, Frank's always willing to write them a letter. And they're good barbed, kind of pointed slightly passive-aggressive kind of letters that really kind of put people on edge. You know, you get a letter from Frank, you're going to feel slightly awkward because, you know, if you don't give him a good answer, he's going to drag you in front of the committee. And he's clearly absolutely reveling in his job as chair of the uh, DWP Select Committee. So top of my hot list this week is Frank Field. Do you think he has the largest environmental footprint of any MP in <laughs> He's certainly giving it a good go, isn't he? So, uh, good stuff there. Um, Esther McVeigh is another one. I'm not sure whether she's hot or not. Possibly hot and not at the same time. Yeah, middle ground. Yeah, so uh, obviously she's trying to get up to speed with with pensions. She got a bit of a a roasting over the uh, personal independence payments, not strictly a pension thing, but, you know, a bit of a a climb down on that one, which was slightly awkward for her. John McDonnell described her as a stain on humanity and called for her to be lynched, which I think some people would wear as a badge of honour. Um, so sure. um, she's, she's trying to get up to speed with various bits of pensions legislation going through at the moment, uh, as is her uh, junior Guy Opperman, who's, who's been uh, in the news a bit this week, uh, uh, enthusing about uh, giving people good financial guidance. Yeah, sort of quietly pushing that agenda. Yeah, yeah, so I think that all that's interesting. Um, I'd like to uh, mention a couple of others. I think Leslie Titcombe over at the Pensions Regulator is probably having a challenging week. Less hot for her, more just a bit awkward at the moment. Again, for some of the same reasons sure. it gets Frank excited. And I think we should also give credit to the Pension Protection Fund who just keep quietly putting that insurance scheme in place. And let's face it, this, co- this conversation around Carillion and all the other pension schemes we're having problems with would be a lot more awkward if we didn't have the Pension Protection it Fund would. in place. Thanks, so. Ros Altman. <laughs> As is so often the case, it was Ros that fixed it. Um, we'd like to say that someone that we think is not hot this week is anyone with the name Philip Green. Uh, in a sort of twist of bizarre um, name similarity, the chairman of Carillion seems also to be called um, Philip Green. And... Um, 
I have to say that NMA, our hearts go out to anyone else uh, on Twitter and anywhere and uh, elsewhere whose name is Philip Green, who's been dragged into this affair. We found one person in particular who is uh, the Reverend Philip Green, uh, who seems to be a Watford fan, very pro uh, pro European Union. Uh, seems like a very nice person by the looks of it. So we won't be sort of um, uncovering any um, sort of previously offensive remarks that he's made online. And he says on Twitter that. Quotes, I note that the chairman of hashtag Carillion and I share the same name. I've barely recovered from the strain of having my name dragged through the mud by the former owner of BHS. Hashtag Grumpy. <laughs> and I think that's oh, a brilliant sense of humour for a priest, you know. I think it's probably going to be a while before anyone risks appointing another chairman to any organisation with the name Philip Green. You're just not going to go there, are you? It's not a good sign for a company, is it? So who's the director? Well, it's a guy called Philip Green. It's like, okay. Okay, the alarm bells are ringing already on How far is this going to go? Are there going to be, like, parents who are going to be reluctant to call their children Philip because of this? Yeah, Mr and Mrs Green, Philip is no longer an option for you. Philip is no longer an option. The name drops right down the 2018 babies list. Um, That's probably a good way to segue into Carillion, isn't it? It is. that's a big story. Carillion, yes, this is a huge story, a huge kickoff to 2018, the collapse of the outsourcing giant Carillion, which has left uh, about 27,000 members facing the prospect of having their benefits cut slightly and into the pension protection fund. Um, so, Tom, uh, huge story. What did you did you make of this when this landed uh, a couple of weeks ago? Uh, I think I think the main thing about this is uh, there's been a lot of attention focused on the pension scheme, and rightly so. For me, this looks like more a failure of business management and corporate governance than an indictment of the pensions industry or indeed of the pensions regulator. I think we've got a lot of schemes across the UK are currently in deficit. Um, For a lot of them, if the music stopped today, if the company happened to go bust, it would be difficult because because they'd be looking potentially at having to go into the pension protection fund. Uh, And this happens to be true of Carillion in this case. For me, it's a lot more about why the company got into the predicament it's in and, and, and uh, what the, the role of the accountants and the auditors and, and, the, and the, the, the directors of the company and how it managed to get quite so deep into a hole and how it managed to get there quite, quite uh, how, how it went on for so long before it all finally uh, collapsed in on itself. Yeah, before the music stopped. But I mean, I, I, I do agree. I, I, do, I don't think this was, Crillian didn't fail because of its pension scheme. It failed because of, of, of various uh, corporate factors, um, but I mean, you know, this this is this is going to have more more of an impact than just on those twenty seven thousand members. Is it not? Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, clearly, it's also desperate news for for anyone who's been doing business with Carillion, all the, all the, the small, small businesses and the sort of secondary um, contractors. Um, but then, what do we get? We get Theresa May promising tough action on pension schemes. So, you know, this does inevitably come back to the pensions a bit. And we're going to clamp down on the greedy bosses. I'm going to be really interested to see what that actually means. It's not how the first they, time they've said this. No, is it? indeed. No, so, how the, what not. are they actually? What's going to be different this time round? There's always a tension between uh, the employees, the, the shareholders. The, 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 the trustees of the pension scheme speaking up on behalf of the pension scheme members, you're always having to make decisions across those different stakeholders and decide how you're going to allocate capital. You can't just say, look, 
No more dividends this year, any more than you'd say, right, well, no more salaries this year. You've always got to balance the corporate resources across those different stakeholders. Mostly, I think business are doing a reasonable job of that. I think broadly we're in the right place here, but it's never going to be perfect, and there's always going to be challenges around that. So coming back to Theresa May's promises to clamp down on these greedy bosses, I wait with interest to see what that's actually going to mean. We've got a white paper coming from the government in due course, so, you know, we wait with bated breath. Do you think she'll really achieve anything with that? Does she actually have any power to do something like that? I mean, with Brexit being so high up on the agenda, no, it's, all, mean, it's all talk? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it probably is talk. Um, I think uh, there's... You see, I find it really interesting. There's been uh, we've we've seen Barclays in the news uh, a bit in in the in the last week or so because of the restructuring going on there, the splitting up of the retail bank and the investment bank, and this decision to pass the pension scheme over to the investment bank, which is seen to be more risky. And whereas the retail bank uh, is is back into that too big to fail, you know, social infrastructure kind of. Uh, organization that would probably be well protected and relatively safe. The investment bank, by contrast, is risky. So so why are you passing the pension scheme over to the investment bank? Why is that going to be the sponsoring employer of the pension scheme? And this looks to me, thinking back to Carillion and, and Theresa May's comments, why are we not seeing the pensions regulator getting quite heavily involved in this corporate transaction at this point to preempt any problems. Why are they not asking the kind of questions we keep hearing from Frank Fields, you know, the barbed questions about, well, why are you doing this? What is the security for the members in all of this? No, exactly. And I think, you know, you look at some of the stories that come out of Crillian, it's about, you know, when do the TPR uh, contact uh, Crillian about the, de the, the trustees about the deficit, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of the, the very end, the very, the, very, the very last stitches of the company, the last thralls of the company, what was the TPR doing? But really, the TPR shouldn't, shouldn't it be on the front foot of these things and, and stopping things before they become an issue? And, and this is a great example of, of, of a situation where the TPR you know, can and should, should be... The, the difficult bit for the TPR is they have limited resources. You know, there's a few hundred people working there down in Brighton. Um, there are thousands of up to a million plus companies in the UK, so they can't possibly be intervening all the time. So they have to strike a balance between letting British industry get on with what it does best and you know, the dynamic uh, thrust to the marketplace and intervening when necessary. Really difficult thing to call. But I mean, the, the, the Barclays one looks like an interesting case to me. With Carillion, sorry, just to mention about, about Carillion again, I, we were talking a little bit earlier about um, the implications for sort of public understanding of um, DB schemes and confidence in kind of corporate custodians, be they Carillion, BHS or Barclays. Um, I, I sense when I talk to people sometimes that they would much rather just have their massive lump sum in their bank account, even if it is sort of going nowhere, for want of a better phrase, um, in terms of you know, low interest rates or, or whatever. Um, do you think that this has the potential to even sort of further reduce confidence in you know, the corporate idea of a corporate pension scheme, the custodian, the person looking after your investments, and um, you know, the deal at the end when you, you walk away with something that will you know, see you through for the rest of your retirement. I absolutely agree. I think this, this feeds that narrative, it feeds that thought process, it undermines people's confidence. One of the very clear outcomes from the pension freedoms, which have been pretty much universally popular with everyone apart perhaps from Mick McAteer, is, is, is people, people welcome the control over their pension pots. They're very happy about the fact that they have been given the freedom to decide how they spend their own money. I think it would be a brave politician that chose to unwind that. But the problem we then have is a lot of people don't really understand the pensions. They don't want to buy annuities anymore. They don't want to hand their money over to an insurance company. And equally, they're not comfortable with, as you've just described, Ollie, these corporate 
managers, these company pension schemes, controlling the money where you, you have a very prescriptive uh, structure of payouts on the pension benefits. I've got to wait till I'm 65 and then I'll get a level income. And people are saying, actually, no. If I transfer it to a personal pension, I can take some money out at 55 and I get control of the money and I can stick it in my bank account if I want. I absolutely understand why people feel like that. So I think there's a huge challenge for the industry and policymakers to up our game in communicating with people and trying to help people understand what good looks like. Mm. So do you think we'll see more transfers? I know we're seeing a huge amount at the moment in the last two, two years or so, but do you think we'll see more DB transfers on the back of Carillion in other schemes? I think there'll be pressure there from one side. Uh, meeting that on the other side, of course, is the increasing anxiety from the FCA about the kind of transfer activity that's going on and, you know, they are scrutinizing ever more closely the activities of advisors and, and perhaps I'll start moving on to some of the pension providers that are taking the money from the advisors at the moment. So uh, I th I'm really not sure how that one's going to play out at the moment. You've definitely got building demand on one side. You've got a regulator that's really, I think, uncomfortable with a lot of that activity in the industry. How is it going to control that? How is it going to damp that, those fires? Um, you know, this, is, this is playing out in front of us at the moment. I'd be interested to hear what you think about this, Jack, but I, I sense that in the middle of all that is a sort of tectonic plate that is shifting within society generally, and I, I don't want to extrapolate too much or too sort of in, you know, in an exaggerated fashion, but it seems to me that all over the place we're seeing examples of um, confidence in elites and confidence in people with authority eroding, yep. sometimes quite dramatically and quite quickly. And we've definitely seen that with Brexit. Ed Balls was saying that at our conference, conference wasn't he? And I, I just wonder whether this is sort of part of a broader movement, really, mm. within society, where that, that plate of... Um, of confidence and deference towards people in authority and power is actually eroding really quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and in many cases with good reason. Uh, and and because, because a lot of these um, uh, elites have been found wanting in various ways. And, and you, know, you can look at things like you know, the expenses scandal for the MPs a few years ago, which yeah. definitely knocked people's confidence in the political elite. I think some of it is a legacy of 2008. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, there has never been an adequate reckoning of uh, who, who was really culpable for what went wrong with the banking crisis and, the, and the, you know, we teetered on the edge of the cliff um, and a lot of people then saw their standards of living flatlining for years and uh, a lot of people then see those elites have somehow managed to escape scot-free and they're still living in nice big houses and earning big salaries. And, you know, we saw it again with Carillion, where, you know, the ex-directors are continuing to get paid salaries of hundreds of thousands of pounds even after they've left the company. You can understand why people get chippy about it. And very it. close connections to the government, to senior positions in the government, very close yeah. ties with, with senior politicians there as well. And this is what leads to Trump and Brexit and Corbyn and all the rest of it, is because people, you know, just say, look, actually, to hell with a lot of you. And DB transfer. And, and DB transfers as well. They're all in the mix together. Trump and DB transfers. Who knew? So, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Ollie. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Just on culpability, um, you know, we were saying a little bit earlier about um, the uh, the, um, the Carillion issue and auditors and who was actually supposed to be you know keeping an eye on this. Is there potential now for more scrutiny to be piled on you know the auditing companies? We won't name and shame, as I said, but we're not private eye. <laughs> we're not private eye. No, unfortunately not. 
Um, I think I think you know back to Theresa May's comments about uh, the fat cat bosses. Yes, I think there's going to be greater scrutiny over corporate governance quite generally, um, given the weakness of the government and their inability to, to to really do anything themselves. They are vulnerable to attacks from Labour. Mm. Um, you know, Labour are perhaps uh, see the the Carillion situation as you know an opportunity to make political capital around the failures of the free market and, and private enterprise and you know, maybe we should just be nationalising all of this because that would improve the governance. So I think there are some tough questions to be answered there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had a conversation with someone uh, the other day when we were talking about the pensions regulator and what Theresa Mays and the government are kind of planning or want to happen with that. And we said the issue, the issue really was that the pensions regulator is just that. It's a pensions regulator. It's not a business regulator. And when you start saying the pensions regulator should have oversight of takeovers and corporate deals and dividends, and other corporate governance issues like this that aren't specifically pensions re- uh, related, then it's it's very difficult to to see the, the pensions regulator over kind of going into that space. Yeah, but then you've got the likes of the Financial Reporting Council. And yeah, that. I mean, I think so. What what the individual I was speaking to suggested was that the, the government could appoint um, independent uh, independent regulators, but independent experts to go into a business and provide reports at the expense of the business about their corporate governance structures, their dividends they're paying out, are they neglecting their pension scheme, and, and kind of looking at more of a business kind of regulator or certain ability to appoint independent experts to businesses where there's concerns about something like Carillion or something like we've seen with Barclays happening, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Someone who wasn't being paid to say that everything's okay. Exactly. Someone who's got you know fewer conflicts of interest. You know, the, the trustees, the accountants, you know, they're, they're paid by the sponsoring company. Yes, and, and that, that is always a problem. There is always that, that kind of whiff of conflict of interest. I think it is extremely difficult to, to, to get beyond that, given that there is a limited pool of people who have the skills to undertake these kind of tasks. You know, there's, when you, certainly when you get into the bigger um, conglomerates where you've got multiple layers of companies, having the legal accounting skills to, to really drill through and see what's going on with the company, to identify what's good and what's not. You know, isn't this what the accountants are supposed to do? Isn't this what the auditors are supposed to do? Aren't, aren't the corporate governance processes supposed to be in place as well? Would adding another layer make that much difference? I think, uh, and I'm not saying that it wouldn't, but I think it's an interesting challenge. Um, I wondered whether we could just discuss uh, maybe some favourite comments about the sort of Carillion issue and indeed anything else that's been in the news. I, um, I have a sheet in front of me that, that has a couple of um, comments on it. Um, what, they, what are they saying, Ollie? They're saying, I mean, there seems to be a lot here. This is from the New Model Advisor website. There seems to be a lot of comments here attacking uh, both Labour and the Tories, but mainly Labour, if I'm, if I'm honest. There seems to be a lot of hostility towards Labour for so-called point scoring on Carillion. And I know that we've seen that before on previous issues involving pensions and, and other finance and regulatory matters. Um, but my favourite comment is right at the bottom of, of, of this sort of sheet. We have about 500 words of people sounding off about how awful Labour is. And then at the very bottom, Stuart Edwards uh, says, I think a more press- pressing question now is how the deficit reached over $2 billion. In a single sentence, I think, sort of bringing the entire thing back to um, reality, perhaps, and uh, making it sort of much more punchy and relevant. So, Stuart Edwards, if you're listening to this, <laughs> uh, you certainly pricked my attention. Um, well, thought that was a good comment. Well done, Stuart. Good work. So, I think that seems like a brilliant place to end uh, this week's podcast. I'd really like to say thank you to our brilliant guest, Tom McPhail. From thank Marcus you for having Lansdown. me. Thank you. It's been excellent having you here. Great really introduction enjoyed. to broadcasting. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we thought we'd give you a try, Tom. Yeah, we. we we thought we'd, you know, Test take you a out. punt 
um, you know, see what happened. Um, and obviously, thanks to Jack uh, for your pension expertise. Um, we'll be returning next week on Thursday for another episode of the NMA podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, um, don't forget to look for our New Model Advisor Twitter handle. It is at New Model Advisor. And again, don't forget to, to subscribe and tell your friends. Thank <laughs> you.